Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Churchology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holmes, and today on the show we're talking to Dr. Jarvis Williams. Jarvis is the Associate Professor of New Testament Interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of numerous books, including the upcoming release, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. And Jarvis and I do a deep dive into the book to catch Scripture's vision on kingdom diversity. This is a conversation that the, the church needs to have. Uh, the church needs to hear this conversation. And so I was just so honored and excited to have this conversation with Jarvis. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So sit back, relax. Let's jump right into our conversation with Dr. Jarvis Williams on today's Churchology podcast. All right. Well, today on the show, we are excited to talk to Dr. Jarvis Williams. Jarvis, how are you today? Hey, man. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am doing great. It is so good to talk to you. I'm so excited to do this interview today. Now, before we dive in, Jarvis, just inter introduce yourself to our audience, to our listeners, people that might be listening or watching on YouTube. Um, tell us a little bit of your story. Give us a little bit of background. I, as you know, I grew up in small town in, in Eastern Kentucky, and um, I grew up into a family that was deeply uh, uh, faithful to caring for me and loving me well and, and uh, helped me in, in so many ways and wasn't a Christian family, but it was a, a loving family nevertheless. And by God's grace, I heard the gospel uh, multiple times growing up playing sports in, in Eastern Kentucky, playing with Christian Christian friends, uh, but as you know, you know, we are, I don't know if your viewers will know, but you and I go way back to high school, and, and we were college roommates, and you and I became believers around the same time, roughly around 1996. A dear friend of ours had a tragic car accident, passed away, and through that, uh, uh, the man who eventually became our pastor shared the gospel with us, and, and we, we gave our lives to Christ, so I gave my life to Jesus in April of 1996, at the end of my senior year of high school. And in about a year, I was baptized that summer at, uh, at our local church there in Eastern Kentucky. And roughly about a year or so later, I, around the same time as you, began to sense the Lord calling me into some kind of ministry, but I had absolutely no idea what that meant or what, what I would be doing. And with the careful guidance of uh, our home pastor and the love of our congregation they walked with me through that and and helped me sort of think through calling and eventually went off to do theological education and 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 was eventually married and and pursued a a teaching ministry and and now also serve in addition to being a professor serve as as one of the one of the pastors at my local church here in Louisville Kentucky awesome awesome I love it I love it and I'm just so excited when we start, when I started this podcast, first person I said I want to talk to is you, Jarvis Williams. So, man, this is so exciting for me. Now, man, you you are about to release when we when we release this interview. Uh, it's still still a little bit away, but you are about to release um, a phenomenal book, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. And so, man, just give us a give us a, a sense of what what is the book about? Talk to us about what you mean by redemptive kingdom diversity. What are you doing in this book? Yeah, it's a great question. So the basic, I think the basic thesis of the book is to say that God has all um, has always had the plan to restore 
everything that Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. And that restoration includes humanity's vertical relationship with himself, humanity's horizontal relationship with one another, and the restoration of the entire creation. So in Genesis chapters one and two, God creates the world and everything is perfect and beautiful and glorious and in harmony. And the climax of his creation, the pinnacle of his creation is male and female created in God's very, very own image. But in chapter three, sin, well, chapter two, sin enters creation because of disobedience. And in chapter three, God brings a curse. He curses the serpent. He curses the ground. He curses, uh, curses the man and the woman. But in the midst of that curse, that cosmological curse and that includes in the entire creation, God gives a promise in Genesis 3, verse 15. And that promise is that God would crush the seed of the serpent by means of the seed of the woman. And as the biblical narrative progresses after that, we see how sin, uh, both individually and cosmically, begins to impact the entire creation at the relational level. Uh, work becomes more difficult. Human relationships are broken. You have murder taking place in Genesis chapter four. But along the way, God keeps giving the promise that he's going to restore and redeem all of that. And if I could just fast forward to the New Testament side of this narrative, that we know that through the seed of the woman comes the seed of Abraham and the seed of David. And the seed of Abraham and the seed of David is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one through whom God fulfills all of his redemptive promises for the entire creation and for, and for the world, for Jews and Gentiles and for the world. So Jesus, for example, is called the seed of Abraham in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus dies on the cross. He, he dies a wrath-bearing death, lives a perfect life, of course, dies a wrath-bearing death, takes upon himself our sin, our judgment, our, our wrath that we deserved, and as our substitute, and God raised him from the dead. And then in addition to the cross and the resurrection, the, the foundation of this redemptive kingdom diversity, you then have God working to restore humanity's broken relationship with God by justifying Jews and Gentiles by faith in Christ. That's what I mean by God restoring the vertical, the vertical relationship. That is, our relationship with God is broken because of sin. God restored that relationship through the wrath-bearing uh, death and victorious resurrection of Jesus from the dead when sinners are justified by faith in Christ and they repent and turn from their sin. But then also there's a horizontal restoration that takes place through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, by his death, just to give you another example, Galatians 3, 13 and 14, he gives us the spirit by faith and the spirit of God is working in the hearts of the people of God. And God, through Christ, is reconciling Jews and Gentiles, every tongue, tribe, people, and nation to one another through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So in Galatians chapter, chapter uh, 2, verses 11 through 14, for example, the apostle Paul says to Peter, when he withdrew from table fellowship with Gentiles, he was not walking in a straightforward manner in the truth of the gospel. Because Jesus, as the good news, as the gospel, is about the business of justifying us by faith, Galatians 2, 16. But also, he's about the business of restoring, reconciling Jews and Gentiles to one another. Ephesians chapters 2 and 3 outlines that quite nicely. But in addition to that, the vertical 
uh, restoration, the horizontal restoration. You also have the promise that through Christ, God is also going to restore the entire creation. So you have Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25, promising that great day when new Jerusalem would come. In, in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, new creation is realized through Jesus Christ in his reconciliatory act of redeeming Jews and Gentiles from their sin and bringing about this cosmic redemption of the entire world because creation is also Romans 8 tells us this as well creation is is liberated and redeemed from the power of sin because of Jesus's wrath-bearing death and his victorious resurrection from the dead now the the so there's the redemptive piece of that and the diversity piece of that relates to the fact that G, that that in Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2 God created Adam and Eve and he created them to, uh, to glorify him, to enjoy him forever. He created them to be rulers and to be uh, those who steward creation well. And he also created them, we know, to be fruitful and multiply the earth. And that fruitful, fruitful multiplication anticipates a diversity of human beings who will be born of the offspring of Adam and Eve. And so when sin entered creation, then sin is, is seeking to distort and destroy uh, the, the, the intentions of God's cosmic and horizontal and vertical creative purposes. But when Adam and Eve sin, God gives us that promise. He's going to restore all of that. So part of that restoration is, is now bringing together by the, the blood of Jesus, by this vertical, horizontal, and cosmic redemption, the, the Jews and Gentiles that flow out of Adam and Eve eventually, the diversity of human beings ethnically that flow out of Adam and Eve, and to restore them uh, in a relationship with God, in a right relationship with one another, and in a right relationship with, with creation. And so we get statements like, for example, in, in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, that says, Jesus has redeemed some from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about redemptive kingdom diversity, I'm talking about the fact that it has always been God's intention to restore everything that Adam and Eve has lost in the garden. And one aspect or three aspects of that restoration are vertical restoration, uh, horizontal restoration, and cosmic restoration, so that, that Jews and Gentiles, human beings created in the image of God, scattered throughout the world, are being reconciled to God through Christ by faith. And we are now recreated as ethnically diverse people, recreated into this one new people, this one new identity as the people of God that's filled with many different ethnicities scattered throughout the world who are part of the family of God. And so I'm trying to think carefully about how we as the people of God who are redeemed uh, by the blood of Christ, participating in this cosmic, vertical, and horizontal uh, work of restoration that God has done for us in Christ, how are, are we to then now live as the transformed, redeemed people of God in the real world 
where sin and the devil continue to triumph. Hmm. So that's what I'm trying to do in the book. And of course, that thesis is speaking, is seeking to speak specifically into some of the current day conversation related to race and racism and, and ethnicity and, and other aspects of Christian living. But the book, as you know, is a book that grounds the conversation in, in exegesis and theology, and that is seeking then to speak in light of that exegesis and theology in light uh, in, into how the people of God are, are to live out this redemptive kingdom diversity. Because it's not just, so the book is not just, and the thesis is not just, an abstract academic question. It's really a exegetical and theological work that is seeking to answer the so what question. Mm. Well, how then shall I live? Now, most of the stuff in the book is about the exegetical and theological foundation. And then I'm entrusting readers to think carefully about how to work it out in their own context in ways that are applicable to them. But I do have a so what question that I want to answer. How are the people of God to live differently in light of God fulfilling all of his redemptive promises for Jews and Gentiles and for the world in Jesus? So that's, I know that's probably longer than you wanted me to answer. That's what I'm trying to do in the book, that's summarizing that in, in uh, those, those too many words. Yeah. Oh, that's good, man. You, man, you're saying so many things I just want to ask you about here. And so, so I love we, uh, your, how you talk about the vertical dimension of the gospel, horizontal, but then you bring in this piece that I don't, I don't think that we give too much, we give, we don't give enough attention to this cosmological piece. Um, can you unpack that some more, go into some more detail about that? You know, so many times when we think about the gospel, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's vertical. It's us being reconciled to God, forgiven for our sins and, and those sorts of things. Like you said, that's true. Um, but then there's also this, this cosmological piece of the gospel of renewing creation. Um, how do you think that's hurt us that we, that we haven't talked about that enough? And can you talk about just again, why is that this, why is that significant for this conversation about diversity? Yeah, that's a good question. Let me let me answer the first part first. Let me say a little bit more about the cosmic. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so I think when we when we think about uh, what the gospel is, and of course, when we're talking about the gospel, we have to look from Genesis to Revelation. That's the good. whole Bible, yeah. right? Outlines for us what the good news is. Genesis three fifteen is is a good place to start. I think mm. uh, where you have the promise of of God restoring the entire creation, this, some call it this first gospel, this first announcement of good news. And of course, the words that we use for gospel in the original are, you know, those words pop up in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, and then Paul uses these words quite a bit. So the first thing I want to say is when we're talking about, you know, the gospel, we want to think of the, the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Hmm. Let me just focus on Paul for, for a moment, because I think Paul is perhaps the place where we spend a lot of our time thinking about the gospel. I think I think the gospels themselves are important, but also let me just say a word here about Paul, because my my area of focus in my own scholarship primarily focuses on Paul. Yeah. In, in Galatians, when Paul talks about the gospel, he says uh, in Galatians chapter one, verses 15 and 16, that God revealed his son in him so that he would announce him. And that word announce is uangalizomai. 
that word that we translate to mean to announce his good news. So Paul says, God revealed his son in me, Galatians 1, 15 and 16, so that I might announce him as the good news. Hmm. All right, so who's the gospel? Jesus is the gospel. And everything about Jesus is the good news. First of all, and that's what Paul says in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when, when you begin to look more carefully about the ways in which Paul talks about the gospel in his letters and the way the New Testament as a whole talks about the gospel, they talk about the gospel in different ways and different contexts. One way Paul talks about it, as I've already said, is this vertical aspect of the gospel, that you're justified by faith in Christ, that, it, that, that you must repent and believe and turn from your sin. You must believe by faith that God offered Jesus Christ to die on the cross to absorb the wrath of God for your sins, and that God raised him from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says the foundation, the most Important truths of the gospel are the cross and the resurrection. Without the cross and the resurrection, you have you don't have justification by faith. You don't have repentance. If Jesus is dead, that's not good news. Yeah. It's not gospel. So Paul says, First Corinthians 15, cross and the resurrection. And that is the foundation for justification by faith, for repenting and believing, for every aspect of the gospel. But that vertical aspect we we mean by which we mean the sinner as a personal conversion experience, yeah, vertical. So when I'm talking to unbelievers, I tell them, you must turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, believe by faith that God offered him to die on the cross for your sin, and he raised him from the dead for your sin. You must personally commit your life to that truth, because I'm calling them to a vertical um, announcement. But then the, the, the horizontal announcement is, is that God in Christ has also reconciled sinners to one another. I mean, that's Ephesians 2 and 3. That's, um, I think, Galatians 2, 11 and following. I think that's Galatians 5, 16, quite frankly, down to 6, 10. But then your question, that cosmic piece. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, we have glimpses of it in Galatians where, where Paul says, Jesus delivers us from the present evil age. Uh, and then you have this statement of new creation in Galatians 6.15. Galatians 1.4, Jesus died to deliver us from the present evil age. Galatians 6.15, uh, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, Paul says, but new creation. So new creation is pit against the present evil age. But in Romans chapter 8, I think in Romans chapter 8 is where Paul perhaps gives us a, a most detailed exposition of of this cosmic redemption i don't want to read the whole passage here but in verse 19 he says creation romans 8 19 the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of god verse 20 for the creation was subjected to futility i think paul is alluding here to genesis chapter to genesis chapter 3 hmm. with god bringing judgment upon creation creation was subjected in futility in hope and notice verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Well, what, what do you mean, Paul? Paul means that the creation will be liberated. Hmm. Yeah. That's what he means. And he goes on and talks about verse 22, creation is groaning to get, has been groaning the whole creation in birth pains. Verse 23 not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
And then verse 14, he goes on and talks about how for in this we this hope we were we were saved. So so here's my my point related to referring to that passage. That it's good news that sinners are justified by faith in Christ. It is good news that, that God in Christ reconciles sinners to one another. And it is good news that God is going to restore the entire creation. And of course, Revelation 21 and 22 highlights that, that fact. So then when we think about the gospel holistically, going now I'm trying to answer your question related to why this is important for Christian yeah, living. When we think about why it's important to think about the gospel holistically as vertical, horizontal, and cosmic, it, it helps us to think in a gospel way hmm. about how to live redemptively in a fallen world. We live in a real world. We inherit ideas and systems and sins that we had no direct hand necessarily in, in creating or being a part of, but we ourselves also are individual sinners. But when Jesus redeems us, he doesn't all of a sudden snatch us out of the world. He keeps us in the world to be in the world, but not of the world, and to live and shine brightly as bright lights in a fallen world, so that we too, as redeemed, spirit-empowered, ethnically diverse people who are transformed by the power of the Spirit because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God leaves us in this world to use us as his agents to be means by which we serve as calling people out of darkness and into the light and, and helping disciple them to live redemptively by the power of the Spirit. So in my view, if we understand that the gospel is big mm -hmm. and that God wants my life and the entire creation and that Jesus shed his blood to restore everything, exclamation point, that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. That means, brother, in <laughs> Jesus, you and I, in Christ, no matter our background, our history, our baggage, we are brothers in Christ, and we are empowered by the Spirit, enabled by the Spirit, equipped by the Spirit, and of course, by the Word of God, not to ignore the world in which we live, but in spite of that, to seek to live redemptively together as the people of God hmm. in a world that is broken and needs redemption. Yeah. So in my view, I think when, when we only make the gospel about a person's individual Jesus moment only, mm. Yeah. And we never speak to how the gospel is the announcement that God has fulfilled all of his redemptive promises for Jews and Gentiles and for the world. And how the gospel is a gospel that through Christ, we receive the spirit and the spirit empowers us, enables us to live differently so that we can be about the business of holistic flourishing, then I think there's something about the power of God in the gospel, in the cross and the resurrection that we're not tapping into. Now, let me just give one clarification here, because what can be misunderstood and misrepresented will be misunderstood. And misrepresented. 
So let me just say, of course, we live in a broken world. And, and my view is not what, what some theologians would call an overrealized eschatology. Yeah. That's not what I'm arguing. We live in a simple, racism will always be with us. Sin will always be with us. It's not my responsibility and it's not the church's uh, ability to rid the world of all sin. Only Christ can do that. But it's our responsibility as the people of God to do what we can as believers to live redemptively in such a way where we make those things less with us in the space that we occupy and in the world in which we live. So that, so that I'm not suggesting that heaven is going to come to earth now in full. Yeah. What I'm suggesting is, is that the kingdom of God is already here, not yet fully realized. Hmm. And as we are living redemptively as the people of God, pursuing holistic redemption, calling people to repent and turn from their sin, but then also discipling them to live in a way where they care about the holistic flourishing of their neighbors, loving their neighbors as themselves. What I'm saying is, is that we are giving glimpses yeah. as, as signposts that the kingdom of God has already broken into this present evil age right now. And we are marching toward that final eschatological destination as we're walking in the power of the spirit. But heaven has invaded this world in Jesus right now. And by the power of the spirit, in part, it's invaded this world by redeeming us as signposts of the new creation that is yet to come. Hmm. So this is why, in my view, Mark, this is why Galatians 5, 16 and other ethical exhortations make sense. Why in the world would the Apostle Paul say in Galatians 5, verse 21, if you don't walk in the spirit, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why mm. would he say that? Mm. He says, 5, 16, walk in the spirit. Do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 5, 17, he says, flesh and spirit have nothing in common with each other. 5.18, he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. 5.19 and 20, he gives you examples. And oh my goodness, what examples does he give about fleshly living that is contrary to the Spirit, contrary to the gospel? He talks about factions and divisions and enmities and mm-hmm. other sins that he mentions, idolatry and sorcery. And then he says, verse 21, if you, if you live in accordance with the flesh, I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. if you live in accordance with the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I want to say, wait a second, Paul, you've already argued you're justified by faith in Christ, right? Mm. Yes, he has. Because justified people, you know what we do if we're really justified? You know what we do if we are living a life of repentance? We walk in the spirit. That's good. Because yeah. Jesus' death and resurrection, Galatians 3.13, Galatians 3.14, it gives us the spirit, and it gives us the spirit so that we would live in a spirit-empowered, redemptive way as a signpost that Jesus has delivered not only us, but creation from the present evil age. And we're heading toward this new world, Galatians 6.15, Revelation 21.22, that has already begun right now because Jesus is alive. Mm. Yeah. And if we get our minds around that holistic Genesis to Revelation gospel, 
that is focused on the wrath-bearing death of Jesus and his victorious resurrection from the dead, I think we might have a little bit more to say about why we as believers should be living redemptively as it relates to a variety of issues. But in my book, I'm thinking specifically about redemptive kingdom ethnic diversity. You know, one more text here. You read Colossians chapters one and two, Paul says, through the cross of Jesus, he reconciles all things to himself. He talks about this cosmic reconciliation that includes the world. And that means the devil has lost, his demons have lost, all the enemies of the people of God has lost because Jesus is alive and we are called upon and enabled by the spirit to live this out in community with ethnically diverse people in the real world. That's good. And, and, and this is, this is good news. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah. I think one of the things that flows from that is, uh, man, I, I really, I genuinely uh, believe that everything you said just changes everything that we, that we might just believe about what it means to be followers of Jesus, what it means to be Christians in the world. So many times we have that individualistic focus of us reconciled to God and they, and it doesn't go further than that. And, you know, and we can bring that also in the way that we think about sin. You know, one of the things that stuck out to me is um, stuck out to me as I was reading your book is um, you, you over and over, you constantly talk about racism, sin as a cosmological force. Uh, obviously, obviously it's individual, uh, but it's also it's also a cosmological force um, that impacts all of creation. And, uh, you know, I think about Paul in Ephesians 6 talks about the powers and the principalities. One of the things that that tell, tell me what you think about this. I'd love to hear you talk about this um, is. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of discussion, obviously, in the past year and a half about systemic racism, institutional racism. And and so many people, so many Christians, it seems as if that's just something that they have a hard time acknowledging or talking about. Um, but when we begin to see sin, not just in individualistic terms, but also in the terms of cosmological, a cosmological force that can influence powers and principalities, do you think that brings into the conversation things like systemic racism, institutional racism? Do you think that that brings those kinds of things in? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a good, good set of questions. Let me, let me preface what I'm going to say with this. I, I think, let me give you my quick sort of definition of, of how I think sin is defined in scripture. Mm -hmm. I think sin is an individual, as I say in the book, it is an yep. individual transgression that I commit sins. Uh, and, and when I willfully or unwillfully, uh, overtly or covertly violate uh, a clearly revealed command of God. But then sin is also original, that we are conceived in sin, that before we even commit any acts that are disobedient to God, we are sinners. We're conceived in, in, in the womb as sinners. We, we inherit a sin nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve. And when we are born into the world as, as human beings, we are born into the world as sinners. But we are sinners before we ever commit an act of sin, and, and we're sinners before we are even aware that we are sinners, that we are conceived in sin. I think Psalm 51 
gives us that, and Romans 5, of course, uh, as well. Uh, but in sin also, it's, it's original. It's, a, it's, it's something that we, we inherit, a sin nature. We also commit acts of sin, all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. But thirdly, sin is also described as a cosmological power. I think Romans 6 is an example where Paul outlines that, that sin is described there metaphorically in Romans 6 as an evil tyrant that rules and reigns over people and over the entire creation. And of course, I think in Genesis, you see the same idea where, where sin is, is articulated as, as a curse upon creation. And also Romans 8, I think, leads that way as well. So when we think about sin, sin is very complex. It is, again, we're, we're born into sin. We're, we are conceived as sinners. There's original sin. There's, there's transgression. And then there's also this cosmic, cosmic power. So then when we, when we read statements in the New Testament where Paul talks about Jesus is, is delivering and, and emancipating um, us and creation from principalities and powers of the air. I think those principalities and powers of the air are, are earthly and demonic forces. Mm -hmm. uh, that he, when it talks about him reigning in Ephesians 1 over all authorities, I think those are earthly and demonic forces. And remember this, by the way, Mark, in the first century context, Paul was writing to, in Ephesians especially, he was writing to Christians living in a Greco-Roman context whose whole existence was uh, whose whole reality was that the structures, the, the political structures of their day were connected to deities, were connected to gods, were connected to, 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 to sin. So then when Paul's talking about this cosmic redemption and Jesus reigning over these earthly demonic powers, that is good news for them because it reminded them that although they are on earth living within a structure in the first century, in a system that was not pro-Christian, uh, they have been raised to live with Christ. That's Ephesians 1, right? That we are seated in the heavenly places in Jesus because of what God has done for us in Christ. And if you're living in a real world where you are the subject to oppression, then when you start talking about structural liberation, that takes place as a result of Jesus's death and resurrection, and by which I mean that that Jesus has defeated these earthly and demonic powers and rulers mm -hmm. and 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 these deities and these gods whom these earthly rulers serve. That's some very good news for these believers who are suffering on earth as Christians. Mm -hmm. So then I, I want to move the discussion forward to to the point you were raising about issues of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. I think first of all. I think one of the challenges in current racial discourse is, is we throw, we often throw around words and language without defining what we mean by that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and then one person might mean one thing by systemic racism. Someone else might mean something else by systemic racism. Uh, and let me just ex explain what I mean when I, when I talk about that. That's great. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so I, by systemic racism, let me start with a bunch of knots. I should probably state it in the affirmative first, but I'll just state it in the negative. By systemic racism, I do not mean that uh, the, the deck in our country is stacked against uh, blacks or other people of color. That's not what I, what I mean. Uh, I'm a privileged, I'm a very privileged black man. I have a PhD, I'm a middle-class man. Um, my, my wife and I are a middle-class family. My son has unearned privileges that he has inherited 
by virtue of being my son, uh, I, we, we are a very privileged family. And so it will be naive for me to say, it would be wrong for me to say, not naive, but wrong for me to say that the deck is stacked against all black people in, um, in the United States. That's not what I mean by systemic racism. What I mean is, is that in a context where a country where race and racism are, are an important part of our country's narrative as it relates to, uh, to our country's history, that, this, that the construct of race in the, in the new world and into the United States and into uh, other areas of our country was, create, was constructed for the purpose of a racial hierarchy. And that hierarchy benefited historically, historically, there were laws put in place that benefited those who were identified as, as white. And it, it, uh, that, that construct dehumanized those who were, who were black and other non-white people. And so again, just a clear, obvious example, you know, slavery. You know, slavery is complex in our country. I know there, there were other people who were enslaved, but race-based chattel slavery is what I'm, what I'm talking about. And then you know, Jim Crow era, there were laws in the books, right, that uh, dehumanized blacks. And, and, and part of that history meant that there were certain, there's certain access that people had uh, to housing or education or healthcare historically, that, uh, that because of the color of their skin, they had access to, and because of the color of their skin, they did not have access to. And so as we're thinking about, let's just say issues related to um, like housing, for example, you know, there were laws in the books that, that tried to isolate, that or did isolate and segregated blacks and, and kept them uh, from benefiting from some of the, the, the housing benefits that whites would have benefited from. And, you know, that's a very simplistic way of talking about the concept of redlining. Mm -hmm. and, and there were schools that, were, that benefited from that in those communities. And there were schools that suffered disadvantages in those communities. And, and, and once the laws changed so that blacks did have more equal access and opportunities, uh, you still have the effects of those racist systemic issues that still exist in certain, as I say in my book, in certain communities of color today. Mm -hmm. and, and so then when we talk about systemic racism, then there was a system of racism put in place in our past. And even though the laws have changed, the effects of that system still affect certain mm -hmm. uh, Black communities uh, of, or certain communities of color uh, because of the effects that those systems had on those communities from which those communities did not recover. And, and so then you can have a system today, a, you could have a, uh, you can have laws today that are promoting equal opportunity and creates opportunities for, for others, but yet you still have these communities that were that were disadvantaged because of laws of the past the effects of that disadvantage are still felt today so then you could say there's an example of systemic racism doesn't mean that people working in the 
housing uh, system today or or in other areas of public service it doesn't mean those people are racist yeah their by their thoughts or their intentions it means that there is a product that a history of racism systemically has produced that still affects those groups of people negatively who are in those communities. That's my point. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it makes total sense, man. And let me give another clarifying yeah. statement here. And I think this is important. And we have to remember this. A friend of mine pointed this out to me. Uh, and this is important. And I, and I hope this is, I think this is very clear in the book. And I think, frankly, it's always been clear in my work that I, I believe in personal agency. I believe that, that, that people who suffer disadvantages can overcome odds hmm. in spite of those challenges with God's help and with opportunities. We have numerous examples of people who have overcome in the most stark and uh, the most difficult circumstances. And, and I believe that, you know, you look at uh, uh, people who have suffered because of the color of their skin in this country, blacks and other ethnic groups. There are, there are numerous stories of black folk and, and other people of color Asians and, and, and um, uh, brown people and, and uh, Native Americans who, in spite of the racism they experienced, were able to overcome because of God's grace, hard work, opportunities. Um, and so I, I want people to hear that. That's important. But here's something else that's important, is that a flourishing Black middle class existed even in times in our country where you still had clear examples of systemic racism. I mean, you had, you had a flourishing black middle class in this country even when there was clear systemic racism in the country, that laws against black people. So, so a flourishing black middle class or blacks who flourish uh, and other people of color who flourish does not necessarily disprove that there are systemic effects of racism that still exist today. Mm. Uh, now, let me, let me say another thing here, because I think, again, what can be misunderstood, will be misunderstood, <laughs> nuance, and to be clear here. Um, so, so when I talk about, um, you know, issues of, of, of structural, structural sin, uh, I'm not making a, a, uh, a pronouncement against personal responsibility. Yeah. I'm personally responsible for what I do. Mm -hmm. Individuals are personally responsible for their sin. Um, and, and that is foundational, I think, to what it means to believe in Jesus, that I must make a personal decision to follow Jesus, and I must repent. And I can't do that for someone else, and you can't do that for someone else as a, as a pastor. But the individual call to repent and believe does not mean that there are not cosmic realities that sin impacts. Sin is a holistic evil. Yeah. It affects individuals and it affects systems. It affects people. Hmm. So then what Christians I think ought to be aware of is, is that sin is probably much worse than they think, but the gospel is much bigger and better than they think. Mm -hmm. So then, so then as we think about these, these issues, we have to work hard, have to work hard to try to immerse ourselves into a biblical and theological framework, but also 
do the hard work of trying to understand the context in which we actually live and the and the history that we of which we are part. Yeah, uh, that's that's important for us, I think, think to do. And you know, I keep saying one more word here, one more word here. You shut me up whenever you want me to stop talking. Hey, man, this is good, man. I want you to talk, man. Yeah. But in my, but in the book too, you know, this is this is interesting as well. That you know, I've been saying this for as long as I've been writing about these things. That uh, racism, as I say, is a co- you said it earlier is a cosmological problem. Hmm. So that means that racism has the potential to exist anywhere where in the world where there are sinners. Mm. And so there's, there's white racism, there's black racism, there's Asian racism, there's, there's Hispanic racism, there's, uh, there's, there are people within diverse groups of people, ethnic groups that, that, are, are racist. And, and so that, as I say in the book, although in our country, in this country, when we're talking about um, uh, racism, that, that racism is connected in this country, historically, I'm speaking historically for a moment, mm-hmm. to, uh, to issues of, uh, yes, personal, personal animosity, but also to structure and power, that historically, historians make the point that that racism, that race was constructed for the purpose of a racial hierarchy within the human race in order to uphold power uh, for those who are identifying in, in, in one group. And then for those who are, who are being dehumanized, um, slave Africans and other non-white folk, for example, historically, now speaking historically, uh, that uh, racism has, a, has this power dynamic to it. But as a Christian, as a Christian, I think racism is is something that is individual transgression, and it's also a structural power. So that means that that uh, not only are whites, uh, can, can not only are there whites who are racist against blacks, but there are blacks who are racist against whites. There are blacks who are racist against blacks. There are Hispanics who are racist against black. Racism is a cosmological problem, and and I think it's important for people to understand that because sin is a cosmological problem. So then in my view, a person can be racist even if that person does not have power because mm-hmm. racism is not just about power. It's a, it's, it's a transgression fundamentally that includes issues of power. But the powerless can likewise be racist in my view. Mm-hmm. And it does, so racism doesn't look the same in every culture and every context. But, but whenever a image bearer has a animosity toward or hatred toward someone else from a different ethnic group or from someone within their ethnic group because of their skin color, then I would argue that that is a form of racism. It just, racism doesn't look the same in every context. I think we're talking about a particular kind of racism when we're talking about slavery and Jim Crow and that sort of uh, sort of racism, but racism is not limited to that. And, and it also is important to realize then, if you follow my argument and if you follow what I said in the book, that, that it is it is um, it is a smack. It is a it is a smack in the face of God's image of his of his creation when we ascribe racism to only to one group of people. Hmm. So then, so so then, so notice my thesis, bro. Mm-hmm. Redemptive kingdom diversity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
there's a vertical, horizontal, and a cosmological problem because of sin. Human beings are alienated away from God, we're alienated from each other, and we're alienated from creation. Creation is in disarray. Hmm. But God in Christ has promised to restore everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden through Jesus' wrath-bearing death and through his victorious resurrection from the dead. And that includes restoring all of those relationships that are broken because of race, racism, and other, other uh, issues related to this uh, this conversation, and, and of course, more. So then when I say redemptive kingdom diversity, my thesis, my work has, has always been about the issue of hope in Jesus mm-hmm. and, and not shaming people because of the color of their skin, telling the truth about our history, but not shaming people because of the color of their skin, not trying to guilt trip people because of the color of their skin, um, not dehumanizing people because of the color of their skin, but viewing the redemptive kingdom diversity includes seeing your ethnic distinction redemptively in light, in light of what God has done for you and for me in Jesus and, and seeking to view ethnic difference the way God redeems it through his image, create, creating human beings in his image through that lens and through the holistic redemption that Jesus has accomplished by his death and, and resurrection. And, and brother, I'll be honest with you, Mark, honestly, I just think that message is hopeful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, what, because what's going on right now, you have a lot of alarmism on all sides, mm-hmm. a lot of alarmism and, and people playing on the anxieties and the fears of people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are, are spending more time sort of listening to whatever their favorite political, uh, uh, venue is for for their cultural commentary, and and quite frankly, it's just depressing. No matter what uh, network you're watching, but if 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 what I'm saying about Jesus and God's holistic redemption is true, brother, that's redemptive, and that then means this, bro. In Christ, I am freed up. I am freed up to love everything God loves about my ethnicity, everything God loves about your ethnicity. Mm. And I'm freed up to pursue redemptive kingdom living in a way that lives out my ethnic identity in a transformative way. So that I say this all the time, before I became a Christian, I was a bald black man. When I became a Christian, I'm still a bald black man, but I'm a transformed bald black man. Mm. My ethnic identity is not erased, but it's transformed. Mm. So anything associated with, with, with my old way of life, that's, that, that is antithetical to the gospel, that, that I must put that off every day but, and put on the one new man every day. And, and those things about my ethnic identity that are beautiful and redemptive, then those things remain. And we can look at ethnic difference not as a, not as a threat, but as as a as a part of God's creative activity, uh, God's creativity uh, that He has redeemed in Jesus. Yeah. So that's, that's good. What I about that. That's good. That's good. Man, I feel like we could just keep going. I would love to just keep going, but man, you, you're a busy, you're a busy guy. So let me give you one more question. Now, Jarvis, you do have um, people watching, listening. You, you've got the ear here of uh, pastors and church leaders. 
and and or you know not even pastors and church leaders but maybe somebody that just you know they're, they're just faithful to their local church wherever that is and obviously this question there's going to be different contexts and answers but let's just let's just say there's somebody watching this or listening to this and they are a pastor or a church leader and and they're convinced like you you, you don't have to try to convince them that Jarvis everything you're saying I I'm in I, I believe wholeheartedly this is scripture's vision but as far as practically mm. trying to work this out where they are I wonder just as for the last question are there general principles and again yeah. man contextually we yes. could go for days but just are there general principles you'd say hey listen think about starting here think about here's here's a few things for you what would you say to that person Jarvis I believe this vision how can mm. I begin to practically work this out mm, that's good bro um you know I love the way you framed the question how you set it up because context is crucial here mm -hmm. yeah so redemptive, and this is so important, and I hope this is encouraging to your to your listeners. Redemptive by, by redemptive kingdom diversity, I do not mean every church should be, must be, or can be multi-ethnic. Mm -hmm. That's not that's what I'm, I'm 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 as you know, I'm like the multi-ethnic guy. I mean, I'm a part of a multi-ethnic church. But one reason why that is a reality for me is because of my social context. We have ethnic diversity in our in our city um, but redemptive kingdom diversity is a call for the people of god no matter where they are if they're in a monoethnic context or multi-ethnic context to live redemptively in such a way where they are walking in the power of the spirit loving god and loving their neighbor as themselves and that might mean you're doing that in a monoethnic context where every ethnic group is the same um, and that's okay the, the, the point that I would want to emphasize is, is that Galatians 5, 13 and 14 is a good principle, I think, to follow, is that we were free, God, God freed us, 5, 13, to be free, uh, but don't use your freedom as an occasion for the flesh, but through love, become a slave to one another, 5, 14, because the entire law is fulfilled in one word, namely, love your neighbor as yourself. So I think a principle that applies in any context as it relates to kingdom diversity is be intentional to pursue spirit-empowered love for God and neighbor. Hmm. And that might mean that in your, in your, if you're in a mono-ethnic context where everybody is the same ethnicity, that might mean one way you show love in, it redemptively is you weep with those who are weeping. You rejoice with those who are rejoicing. You, it might mean you, you go visit a nursing home mm -hmm. and pray for those dying saints or pray for uh, or share the gospel with those dying saints. It might mean you, you collect some food as a congregation. You take it to the local food bank and you tell the folks you're doing this because you love Jesus and you be a witness of the gospel as you're sharing food. You're saying, here's why we're doing this because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's living redemptively. Hmm. That that means that means that, that that could mean practically that that you began to view people who have a different color of skin, begin to view them in a way that is consistent with how God views them, 
that you're not just you're not suspicious of someone just because he's white or black or brown. You, if you're living redemptively, you seek to to uh, to see people as image bearers, not denying the ethnic distinction that is apparent, but not using that ethnic difference as a means by which to dehumanize people. That, that means how you talk about people from different ethnic groups. You, be, you talk with, about them in ways that, that, are, that, are, that are gospel and spirit saturated. You know, how do, how do I talk about uh, white people or black people or Hispanic people? How, how do I talk about people who are of a different ethnicity? Uh, like we, we, we need, a principle is we, we should talk about people in ways that reflect we are redeemed. Our tongues are redeemed, right? Yeah, we need to yeah. talk about people who don't share our ethnic or cultural postures in ways that would honor Jesus. And so I think what drives everything I've said, the principle is, is love. And that love is not this abstract, touchy-feely. Mm -hmm. This love is modeled after Jesus's selfless, sacrificial love for us who died for our sins and who raised from the dead. And, and so I think those are some truths that can transcend I think cultural cultural content. I mean, there are a thousand other things I, I could say, um, and and I think at, at least those things hopefully are helpful and encouraging to your people. And I and I and I would be uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Uh, a, a, a first place to start is read your Bible, <laughs> right? Pray and buy my book. <laughs> in that order. In that order. Boom. Pray your Bible. Uh, and uh buy my book i love it i love it oh man so 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 seriously uh everybody watching listening uh needs to check out this book jarvis so when does this come out this book will be released lord willing on september the 28th this okay. fall um you can pre-order it right yeah, now you can up right now yeah go ahead go to amazon right now pre-order it and if you want to see a 90 second video, you can go to um, my Twitter page, my Twitter, um, yeah, tw I guess it's Twitter page, right? Is that what you call it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm obviously you're, not you're, technologically you're, you're savvy. Right. Go, I, have, I have a, uh, the, my publisher produced a, a 90 second video promo of the book. Yeah, and uh, I have it as a pinned tweet that you can go on there and click on the video and watch it to give you a feel for the book. And, um, and pre-order that, that thing and, and read it and learn. Yeah. And so what we'll do is uh, all of the links to everything Jarvis just now said, we will put links to all of that in the show notes. So it's easy to find. So go to the show notes. There's a link. You can pre-order the book. We'll link to the book trailer uh, and we'll link to Jarvis's Twitter page. Make sure to follow Jarvis on Twitter. He's a great follow and really encouraging and uh, just all kinds of things are coming out from Jarvis on his uh, Twitter feed. So make sure to follow him there. Jarvis, this has been awesome, man. This has been so fun. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I know you've got a lot going on, man. It's been great. Uh, appreciate you, bro. I'm thankful for you, man. We um, we got a lot of history. We go way back. We've known yeah, each other. Man, we've known each other since we were 14 years old. <laughs> and uh, I'm just so, bro, I'm so proud of you. I'm so encouraged by what the Lord's doing in your ministry and your family and your church back home. Um, just keep on keeping on, man. And and you're, you're an encouragement to many people. Ah, oh, man. I, lo I love you, brother. It's been so good. So good talking to you. Thanks, man. Jarvis, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. 
and it was just so fun to talk to Jarvis and like he said in our interview fun fact Jarvis and I went to high school together and so it's just so cool to talk to him about this brand new book and I, like I said at the beginning I've had the opportunity to read uh, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity when this is released check it out the links are in the show notes go ahead and pre-order it right now you can get it right now go ahead and pre-order it you're going to want to get this book it's a phenomenal uh work redemptive kingdom diversity uh depending on when you're listening to this uh at the date of this release though it uh, comes out in september of uh 2021 so pick it up but you might be listening to this sometime in the future and you've already read the book and you know that it's awesome so check it out links are in the show notes you can also check out in the show notes how to connect with jarvis on twitter and thank you so much for listening now this is our second episode of the week we've never done two episodes in a week and so we will not have an episode next week we're going to let the two episodes that we've done uh, this week uh, stand for a little bit we're going to continue to share clips and links uh, to these interviews so wherever you are online make sure to uh, make sure to share uh, today's episode make sure to share it with your friends and everybody else we are online as well did you know that did you know that the churchology podcast is on facebook we're on twitter we're on instagram you can connect with us and we would love to hear from you if you want to watch today's interview uh, we have a youtube channel and you can check out our youtube channel just head on over to youtube look up the churchology podcast and you will find it right there we will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Uh, I had the chance to talk to Andrew Whitehead. Andrew is one of the authors of the book, Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States. And so I'm excited to share that with you. That will be released in two weeks. But make sure to share today's interview with Jarvis, our other interviews. We released an episode earlier this week with Jules Woodson. And so share that interview as well. Thanks so much for listening to the Churchology Podcast.